Welcome to Creation Conversations with Joe Hubbard and John Mackay. Join us each week as we answer your questions and common objections to the Bible, creation, and Noah's flood. We hope you enjoy the show. G'day, good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever around the world that you're joining us to watch. Apologies if you're watching our scheduled event and then we suddenly disappeared. We have absolutely no idea what happened. The technology suddenly crashed on us. Um, And so here we are. We're back again. Please do bear with us. We're joined today, as usual, with uh, the creation guy, John Mackay, the International Director of Creation Research. It's very good to see you, John. Um... And we are going to be doing, this is an Easter special today, it's going to be a little bit longer than normal. We're going to be dealing with two major topics, a biblical one, well, they're actually, they're both biblical in fact, um, but one deals a little bit with fossils and one is sort of based around the time of year that it is. It's Easter, uh, It was. Uh, it's Good Friday here still in the UK, I know it's Saturday morning if you're watching in Australia and it's still uh, Good Friday if you're in the USA or uh, most other places around the world, so Let's start with what we normally do, John. Let's uh, talk about a news clip from the week. Um, I'll just put this up on the screen here. Top secret Cold War military project found perfectly preserved fossil plants underneath Greenland ice. Um, Here's the actual quote. Perfectly preserved plants under the glaciers show that Greenland was ice-free at some point in the last million years. Now, obviously, you and I would disagree there with the dating, um, but uh, it's interesting that they found these preserved plants underneath where plants could not possibly grow today, underneath ice. That's certainly true, and it's not the first time, because if you go to creationresearch.net and look up our fact file or or our Q&A block, you'll find other references to plants because on one expedition there was an Aussie scientist and it really was green underneath all that ice. Underneath Greenland, yeah. The Vikings actually called it Greenland uh, and it wasn't a million years ago either. No. Well, it's 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 interesting because the one of the things the article went was the surprise that these scientists had uh, upon discovering it where for for me and, and for you as well, I know, but it's not surprising in the slightest. Not just because uh, perhaps we have a biblical perspective of the world and we understand about Noah's flood and the ice being recent and Job talking about the ice. But I mean, this I took this photo just uh, a, a couple of months back, actually, or uh, it was be about four four months back or something like that now. Um, this is in Iceland. I went there for my honeymoon slash a uh, research trip. And this was in the museums. They adorned the museums in, in Iceland. And these are fossils of plants underneath where we know glaciers once stood and perhaps have retreated and certainly where glaciers stand today there's loads of these wonderful preserved fossil plants and even fossil leaves that you would recognize you can see what um this one's called here the 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 birch the icelandic birch they're exactly the same they haven't changed in the slightest but what's really interesting and again this is in the museums it says what is the climate like here um most tree species making up Icelandic fossil forests are now extinct, but they go on to say that the modern uh, counterparts are still alive today and that the macro fossil, that's the fossil leaves and also the pollen records, suggest an average temperature of up to 15 degrees C, which is actually uh, Mediterranean in its climate. So it's not surprising at all really for Greenland, which is pretty much at the same uh, at the same latitude um, as, uh, as, uh, as, as Iceland is. In fact, we 
we actually got some of our own fossils. These are on uh, on display in our museum project. Some beautiful fossil leaves that we were able to actually um, pick up and collect. So uh, it's really not that surprising. And I know that we've actually found stuff up in Greenland and up in Iceland, which correspond pretty well to what you have down in Australia and also down in the Antarctic. Do you want to do you want to comment on that? Briefly, there's, there's two things come to mind. One is a visit to the Antarctic Centre in New Zealand, because New Zealand yeah. has been a pretty much a leader in Antarctic research. And uh, some of their stuff they brought back from the Antarctic, um, you know, Arctic's in the north, Antarctic's in the mm -hmm. south. And, and underneath the ice, you'll find both red soil and tropical fossils. Yeah. So there's no doubt about it that the ice was not there. Uh, quite a while ago. Now, how big a while? Of course, they would look, like to do what they do in, in Greenland, you know, millions or millions of years ago. But one of the <laughs> Very most long time. interesting puzzles about the Antarctic is if you go looking for world maps, you know, prior to Captain Cook, uh, yeah. you'll find you come across one which has not only got the Antarctic in it, but it shows it as two islands. Now, it's only in the last decade or so that our sonar sort of penetration, the ice penetrating radar, etc., has picked up the fact that under the ice in Antarctica is two blocks of land, not just one. So right. that's fascinating um, yeah. tra both travel as well as did this map really come from down there? Because it certainly looks like it. Yeah. The other thing is I was just reading a bit of British history this morning, and in the 1640s, you had the Thames freeze over again. You had terrible winters. And then you, this was just after a period of terrible summers. So all of this climate change stuff that it, we're, we're looking at saying, you are causing it, it's just hogwash. It's yeah. happened over again, particularly since Noah's flood. So what you're basically saying is if you get a full perspective on history, no matter how many millions of years you want to add to it, both geologically and from historical records, we can see that the climate has gone up, it's gone down, it's gone up, it's gone down, all throughout recorded history. Um, and if you, of course, put that into a biblical perspective, we know ever since God promised Noah uh, for the first ever time that there would be things like summer and winter, cold and heat, there would be up, there would be down, there'd be up, there'd be down. And we've been seeing the result of that ever since so is the you know climate change this is uh, um, you know a, a misnomer perhaps about what we believe because we certainly believe in climate change we've been recording it for the, for the last four thousand years uh, it's just completely natural in its cycle it's not it's not man-made at all so there's an go you go it's true in other words don't just trust the norwich university graph you know yeah. their hockey stick graph there's yeah. more information available than that starting with genesis going through English history, going through even American history, you will find the climate is up, down, up, down. And that's the truth. And it's not human based. I mean, we can sort of play with the air conditioning in our office, but air conditioning the solar system is way beyond our limits. Yeah, and that's actually something that we um, we discuss in our uh, new documentary, um, which I've just got here, a brand new documentary, Fire and Ice, uh, Exploring Real History, Climate in Iceland. Uh, this is the DVD, by the way. They just turned up the other day. Um, they've been available for streaming uh, for the last couple of weeks. The MP4 is now available to download, so go to creationresearch.net to find out more about that. But the DVDs are now available. They are available in the UK. Um, they are, well, very shortly, be available in uh, Australia. We sent them off a couple of days ago. They should be with you in a couple of days. The postal services, if it's working correctly, <laughs> 
working correctly. Um, but what I thought I'd just do very quickly before we move on to the main subject of for for, for tonight, John, um, is just play a very short trailer for the uh, for the movie. Um, it's a three part special. It's one and a half hours long. It delves into the geology of Iceland. It delves into uh, the climate sort of conundrum that's going on at the moment uh, and agenda, and it also deals. A little bit with uh, with British history as well. So let me just play this for our viewers now. G'day, I'm Indiana Joe, and welcome to Iceland. We're here to explore the fire, the ice. We've come here to find out truths about the Bible. We've come here to discover climate change, and this is Iceland, land of fire and ice. So there you go. You can find out more about that at creationresearch.net. You can buy the DVD. You can stream it at creationresearch.com. And uh, a little bit about how tonight works, briefly, before I hand over to John, because we are doing it slightly differently. We've got our own sort of presentation, if you like. Um, so John Mackay is going to start with a biblical message. I'm going to deal a little bit about fossils. Our main topic is Easter, uh, Jesus Christ, our creating king who came to the earth to die for our sins. That's our overarching theme tonight. Uh, John's going to give a first presentation. I'm going to give uh, the second one, and there will be plenty of time for questions as well. So please do continue to ask your questions as we go. We'll be able to bring them up on the screen, um, which would be really good. And uh, also a reminder, um, last year in the middle of lockdown I'd just come home from uh, America and had to pack my bags and run and we didn't know anywhere near as much about live streaming as we do now and we're still not that brilliant at it but uh, what we did do last year is put out a 2020 Easter special this is still available to watch you just need to go to our Facebook page click on playlists or videos uh, and you'll be able to find all of our I think it was a it was something like a 10-part series or something like that. We did lots of different things. So go and watch that. That will be very, very useful for you. But I'm now going to hand over to John Mackay completely to take our first session, and then we'll come back for questions. Okay, Joseph, thank you. And uh, yes, folks, you will see Australia in that Iceland uh, DVD because we did a little bit down under. And let me tie together just the two streams this morning or this evening or this afternoon, wherever you are around the planet. Have you ever noticed that the climate before Jesus came and the climate for several hundred years after was pretty good? I mean, there's only one storm recorded in the entire New Testament. And the Romans conquered the planet basically as it was known, built roads everywhere, and there was no hindrance, no snowstorms, no, no, no terrible weather that would even stop the disciples going to all the world and preaching the gospel. Okay, if you've ever wondered how the God of creation organized things, that's what our Easter special is about. I'm going to start by reading from the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. I'm going to read from the King James. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us, lest us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, 
as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now catch the next verse. For he spoke in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. Now, what's interesting about this Bible verse, I mean, that's, that's the way I remember verses. Somewhere it says, are you like that? Or can you quote chapter and verse? I remember when I first went on scripture union camps, they wanted us to learn chapter and verse. And I hadn't grown up in the church, didn't go to Sunday school to learn all those sort of things. But I've always been amazed that in the New Testament, they don't say, go to Zephaniah 9.9, if you want to look this up. There's a good reason. You know, when Jesus stood in the temple and he unrolled the scroll and found the reference to himself, the Jews didn't have chapters or verses. They had stop, start, um, you know, paragraph sort of markings, and that was it. It wasn't until the 12 to 1400s that we have chapters added uh, in France first by an Englishman, and then another Englishman adds the verses. So by the time you get to your Bibles in the 1500s, they're starting to look like Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. Oh, he spoke in a certain place on the seventh day and this way, God did rest. Now, you, you should realize that that's a, a cross-reference to Genesis. So let's sort of take you down a bit. And I'll quote from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. That says exactly the same thing. Oh, I gave you the reference in our modern Bibles in English. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creepy thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Oh, hang on. The book of Hebrews is about the seventh day. In fact, you need to know that the writer to Hebrews and he never names himself. Many people suspect he was Paul, but he doesn't name himself. He's actually out to establish several things, the most important of which is Jesus is God, the creator. Why would that matter? Because in the Old Testament, the prophet prophecies about the Messiah, where, G, where, where God the Father said, I am, and beside me there is no saviour. So unless you could establish that Jesus was Jehovah or Yahweh, you were going to get nowhere. These are Jewish people. The, the book of Hebrews is written to Hebrew readers, Hebrew speakers, and they're under threat. Did we really trust the Messiah, who is God, the creator? Hmm. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. You know, it is interesting if you ask what day man was made, because our scripture reference in Genesis just established it. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. Oh, no, that's not Genesis. That's Exodus out of the Ten Commandments. He made the earth, the sea, and all that's in them. And he rested on the seventh day. That's tying Hebrews and Genesis together. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he hallowed it. The day that the Lord rested, the day of the Lord's rest, was the day after he finished creating. He made man in his image. Now, let's put two and two together. If I want to know what day the seventh day is, no better source, go to Jerusalem with me. Let's ask an Orthodox rabbi what day the seventh day is. Now, it goes from our Friday night sunset 
to Saturday night sunset. Yes, the Jews sort of have a 12 hour difference in their clock. We sort of start the day at midnight, but we're dealing with the Bible. So use Bible time references, which means of course that the seventh day is our Saturday for all practical purposes, which means that the sixth day was Friday. Now, did you catch what was said about the Friday? God saw all that he made and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now, in the Northern Hemisphere, it's still Good Friday. And the first Friday was a very good Friday. Or haven't you ever noticed the link before? I mean, the climate, the weather enables the apostles to go. The whole of creation was set up so you could actually recognize that this Jesus was God, uh, the creator. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. And it's all been done from the foundation of the world. Okay, let's ask a question. What was the world like when it was pronounced a very good world on the first Good Friday? Here we are, Genesis 1, 29 to 30. And God said, Behold, I've given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed, it shall be to you for food. In other words, no McDonald's, no Hungry Jacks, no big burgers, no, no, no meat products, no bloodshed. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creeps upon the earth, wherein there is life, I've given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And David Attenborough wouldn't have had any documentaries to film with animals ripping each other apart, which he thinks is part of survival of the fittest, the fattest. Well, I'm sorry. You see, Sir David, in the beginning, there was no bloodshed. Your theory of evolution is so far up the wall and all you theistic evolutionists who are watching need to listen to that. You can't tie evolution and the beginning, the very good beginning together. In that first world, on the first Good Friday, there was no bloodshed. There was no death. It was very good. Hmm. Okay, if you want to know what was included to very good, are you ready for a shock? I mean, those of you on blood pressure tablets, have you taken them today? Have, have you got your karma down us? Because you see, there's one thing that's mentioned there that I can't say I've ever heard somebody else give a sermon on. And it's been there right from the beginning. God makes sure we know about it. Uh, Genesis 2.9. And out of the ground... The Lord God made to grow every tree that's pleasant to the sight. Come on, let's be honest. We have lots of trees in Australia and many of them are flowering trees. And they're the ones that first say, wow, didn't God make pink gums and beautiful trees with lovely flowers with orchids on? Aren't they very pleasant to look at? Oh, it says, and they're good for food. And some of you have seen me pick the orchids and eat them. Yep. In the beginning, all of the plants look beautiful. And they were good for food. And the tree of life was in the middle of the garden. You know, the one you could eat and live forever. Hmm. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All included in Genesis 2, 9. Now, if you want to know what day that was, we know that Eve wasn't there yet because the rest of chapter 2 is all about putting Adam to sleep, making a woman out of his side and bringing it to him. And Adam said, look, that's a woman. Okay. She becomes his wife. What's happened here? is we are on the sixth day because Eve, the whole creation is finished on the sixth day and it's finished after Eve. So this tree is in the garden of Eden and this tree is part of the very good world that God not only created, but he actually labeled. He saw all that he'd made and he pronounced it very good. There was plants in it. 
there was man in it. There was the tree of life and there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, and he did give Adam one rule. Oh, I know some of you are struggling. How could the tree of the knowledge of good and evil be ever classified as good? Well, God didn't make us eat, did he? I mean, he said, that's my tree. Come on, let's, let's think of how generous God was. You have Adam, 69,387,205 trees you can eat from, one I'm keeping. He had the right. He's the creator. Oh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, God spells this out to Adam. Remember, Eve is not there yet. Then the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day you eat of it you will surely die. Now, the one thing you and I are pretty positive of, look how much life insurance you're taking out. Uh, look how much you're spending on medicine, vaccines, trying to stop yourself dying. We don't think dying's very good, and it never has been. But you see, this was spoken to Adam, and he heard it from God's mouth. He heard it directly from his creator. Um, and yet you and I, we tend to think of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as something which is bad. Perhaps I'd better tell you what evil means. One of the things I love doing is tracing words around the planet. And when you look at the word evil in English, you can trace it all the way back to over there in India. You know, that proto-European construction of language they get to? Evil, evil, epil, upel, up and over the line. You see this in the word we use in the New Testament where sin is transgressing the law. Now, being involved in geology, we use the word transgression whenever the sea comes up and over the land. But that's what sin is, up and over the line that God has drawn. Hmm. You ever realize that when a city council puts a sign on the edge of a cliff, warning, don't proceed any further. If you want to know why not, the council really doesn't want you jumping off the cliff. You could shut your eyes and walk and pretend you didn't see the sign, but the end result is not good for you. But there's nothing wrong with cliffs. There's nothing immoral about cliffs. You could have a cliff there in the garden and it would still be very good. What's evil? It's a line that the creator has drawn and tells you not to cross over it. Actually, don't you see that in our police laws? Here's the line. You can't cross over it. Well, it's even on the road, right? You can't cross over it. Nothing wrong with roads. Nothing wrong with lines. Keep that in mind because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents God's right and authority to tell you what lines you can't cross. Swap, swap subjects a moment. I mean, you're Adam. You're there. You're all alone. And God tells you about the tree of life. You can eat and live forever. Have you ever thought of what Adam might have needed to do uh, to live forever? Because if you live forever, you don't die. And if you don't die, you have eternal life. Well, I'll give you some suggestions. He could have trusted God and never experienced death. I mean, to be honest, if God came and said, you eat that tree, you'll be dead. If you've never died, what does it actually mean to you? Try explaining it to a little child and you'll get a bit of an idea. Adam maybe knew the word dictionary-wise, but he had no experience whatsoever. What could Adam do to have eternal life? He could trust God and not eat the tree. So he could keep eternal life by what he didn't do. You got that? He who had eternal life by what he personally didn't do. He could trust the Lord God 
and, and, and trust him with his heart and trust him with his whole heart and his whole mind and he would have no other gods before him. Not that Adam knew about any other god at that stage, but nevertheless, a tree can be a god. Riches can be a god. It doesn't have to be a personal being. But Adam could have had no other god before his creator. Now, let's tie everything we've done together so far, because this is Easter. This is about Christ. This is about Jesus dying, raising from the dead. And you and I are in Genesis. But then that's what the book of Hebrews did, trying to prove that Jesus was the one who could save the, the Jewish people. And this was a message to them before the temple was destroyed. They had a choice. The old way, the temple's still there. Or the new way, Jesus. Who is the way, the truth, and life? Is this Jesus really God? Now, when I became a Christian, I heard a bit about Jesus from the pulpit. It was good, but I never really heard the whole story that's in the New Testament and the Old. Let me give it to you. Genesis 1 verses 1 to 5. We've been referring to it. In the beginning, God created. And by the time you get to verse 5, uh, it's all about everything having been made by him. And the first day of the week was created. God saw the light and it was good. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And it was the first day of the first week. Now, when you go to John's gospel, have you noticed that John borrows? I mean, he didn't do it academically himself. The Holy Spirit is the one leading his mind. John's gospel, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Verse 3, all things were made by him. Verse 5, when you have a look at the light shining in the darkness, and the darkness not being able to stop it, couldn't comprehend it, and down to verse 14, and Jesus Christ became flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you realise your New Testament in the Gospel proclaims Christ is the Creator? A vital message to the Hebrews, a vital message to our evolutionist world, and the devil knows it. If he can get you to swallow evolution, he's got you to disbelieve Jesus Christ. And the more you disbelieve about the Bible, the smaller Jesus actually comes in your mind. Oh, Revelation chapter 4. One of the first scripture choruses I ever learned was out of the book of Revelation. Thou art worthy, thou art worthy. Some of you old enough to remember it. Those scripture choruses came from New Zealand, so good things do come from New Zealand. Um, thou art worthy, O Lord, for thou hast the Creator. Who is the Creator? Look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ is the Creator. Chapter 5, verse 9, thou art worthy. And yes, the King James made for excellent singing because it was invented as part of a rhythmic language of the day, Shakespearean sort of stuff. Okay, thou art worthy for thou art the lamb that was slain. Tie it together, Jesus Christ, chapter 1. Chapter 4, all things were made by him. Chapter 5, he is the creator. So if you want to be sure of who Jesus Christ is, then you need to know he was there in the garden. Man was made in his image. All things are made by him. Hmm. And he was the one who died on a cross. He took our sin. Don't be surprised. The creator became the savior. And he is the one who sustains everything, weather included. <laughs> Did you catch that? The people of Israel, need, when they were commanded, if you've got a problem with the weather, then ask the chief weather bureau the one who is in charge of the weather. Because if you don't, I will change the weather until you get acknowledging who I am. <laughs> um, in John chapter 5 and verse 
45, 46. It's a verse I've preached from for ages. Uh, you know, if you don't believe Moses, you won't believe me, said Jesus. Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Psalm 90. Those six things Moses wrote in your Bible. Genesis chapter 1 is about creation. Uh, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, etc., all about the law and the laws of God. Psalm 90 is all about teach us, O Lord, to number our days because you and me have so few of them. I'm older than most of you, I guarantee that, and I may not have many more days left on this planet. Teach us to number them. Every one of you is not going to be here in a thousand years' time. Let's be honest. Uh, you need to get ready not just to live but to die. But for those of you who are tempted to say God used evolution, do you realize in your world there was bloodshed? In your world there was there was killing. In your world it never was very good and it still isn't. Now let's be honest, you're a Christian. What do you think of COVID? It's not very good, is it? No matter what you think of vaccines or conspiracies or anything, none of it's very good. Uh, you'd much rather a world without it, without politicians, without bank robberies, without murders, etc. Those of you who are evolutionists, that's the world you're saying God used, the death of animals, etc. Hmm. I'm going to give you a few comparisons, which, which just might help you as we begin to round off today's message. On the very first Good Friday, there were no thorns. On the very first Good Friday, no lion had teeth stained in red stuff, unless he was eating beetroot, of course. Um, they were all vegetarians, hard as it is for you and I to come to grips with. That's what the God, the Jesus, who is the creator of all things, the one who is the way, the truth and the life. That's what he said about it. There was no death on the last Good Friday. Yep. There was the first Adam. There was the last Adam. There was the first Good Friday. There was the last Good Friday. You don't need another one. You don't need to sacrifice Christ anymore because on that last Good Friday, he had thorns on his head. His blood was shed and he died in your place and my place. What Adam brought in, the Lord Jesus came to deal with. With one man came sin and with one man sin was dealt with. With one man thorns came in. With one man he had thorns on his head regardless. Oh, I know. Do you realize that the Romans thought they put the thorns on his head? In the same way as the climate gurus say, oh, the weather just happened to be convenient for the apostles. No. The scripture says all of this was organized from the foundation of the world. Now, don't get sidetracked into trying to sort out predestination and free will. You're a human being. If you were God, I'd recognize your opinion, but you're not and I'm not. The Bible talks about both of them. But in reality, it talks about God having organized the whole plan of salvation from before the foundation of the world. I mean, look at this. On the first Good Friday, on the day it was finished, God saw all that he made. And it was very good. And then chapter two begins, after God had seen all of this, he pronounced it finished. It was finished. And then he rested from all his works. Have you noticed that repeated in your New Testament? On the last Good Friday, John chapter 19, verse 30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, the sour wine, what a way to bid someone farewell. Um, he said, it's finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. Now, can you sort of score these together? I mean, you know those university programs where they check your writing to see if you borrowed it from anything? There's no doubt about it that the whole of Jesus' life is actually pictured back there in Genesis, and it was even prepared 
before the foundation of the world. I mean, on the last Good Friday, Jesus, who is God, said the work is finished. But then that's what the writer of Hebrews said. The work was finished from the foundation of the world. Jesus then rested from all his work. Why? Because remember the Jews were a bit worried. The holy day, the special Sabbath was coming up. Get him off the cross and put him in the grave because we're not allowed to work removing bodies or killing people on the Sabbath. What hypocrites they were. Hmm. So Jesus died before the end of the, the day. And he was removed before the Sabbath and put in the grave. And on the seventh day, he rested. He had to. You see, there was a law, a law that says six days you will labor, you Jewish people. And on the seventh day, you will rest. So he did. You see, Jesus kept the law of God that God had given to the Jewish people. He kept it when he was alive. And he even kept it when he was dead, because if he didn't, have, he, he would have been a sinner. I know you find that you struggle with that. But in reality, he had to keep the law alive and dead or he would not have been a perfect person. He would not have been able to take the penalty for our sin. And on the seventh day, God rested. Yes, he did. Back in the Garden of Eden and also in, in Gethsemane, in the garden. Don't be surprised. He rested after he'd finished the garden. In the first place, the correlation is incredible. And let me take you back to our Hebrews verse again. The works were finished from foundation of the world. Is that the only place where you read this? No, no, no. You see, Peter, you know, that that guy who until the Holy Spirit filled him was sort of into chopping off high priest servants ears. Peter was a pretty much a wild one until the Holy Spirit got him and turned his energy into, hey, Peter, out you go. Talk to people about me. And Peter did. And he didn't chop any more ears off and didn't get angry at you if you ignored him. He was willing to live and die for this Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 to 20, here's what we read. Verse 18, the subject is announced. It's about those who are redeemed. Verse 19, it tells you redeemed with what? Redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. But verse 20, this one will get many of you. It says all of this was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Actually, don't be surprised. The world was created on a Sunday. That's the first day of the week. That's the day he rose from the dead, the day the light shone in the darkness. So all that was going to be done was already planned out before the foundation of the world. And if you like to think of it, theoretically, the Friday before that, which didn't exist in our time, was already thought through by God. And so was the Sabbath in advance, the day that he knew he would rest when he finished the physical creation, because he's going to paint in that physical creation a picture of the whole of spiritual recreation. Uh, Revelation chapter 13. Do you like reading Revelation? I'm only glad it includes that verse. Blessed is he that reads because there's so much of it that just leaves us behind, doesn't it? One day we'll look back and say, oh, yes, it was so easy. Now you've explained it, Jesus. But until then, we look through a glass darkly. But there's some things that are so plain, they smack you in the face. Here's one in chapter 13 and verse 8. Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. Hmm. Okay. Have you got it yet? Now you know why the weather was so good in the Middle East. Because God was going to command the apostles and the disciples to take the good news and go throughout all the world and they would have no excuse. The weather wouldn't inhibit them at all. One storm in the Mediterranean and Paul just gets shipwrecked and asks for another one. Now, I'll tell you what, 
he goes and he finishes his job. He knows that his God is greater than the storm. And the apostles went, went everywhere. Uh, the weather didn't start sort of going downhill till about 400 years after Jesus Christ came to this planet. Perhaps if we'd have finished evangelizing, it wouldn't have gone downhill at all. It's amazing what God uses the weather for. Um, let me give you some good news to finish this off. Um, do you realize that the creator is Jesus Christ? So when it says God made man in his image, we were made in the image of the creator, Jesus Christ. So if you've ever wondered why it was Jesus who came to earth and not the Father or the Holy Spirit, now you know. You see, it was Christ's image, the one who the book of Hebrews says is the express image and glory of God. Now he's the one who came to save us. What from? Was his sin had defaced his image. It was his image that needed to be rebuilt in us. Have you ever noticed that over and over again in the New Testament, those of you who've become Christians, the word says you are being rebuilt in his likeness. The older you get in Christ, the more you should begin resembling him and he's going to complete that in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, just a word of warning here before we finish with one bit of encouragement. Do you realize the same God who had the right to say, there's the line on the ground. That's my tree. I've given you every other tree. Don't be, don't be greedy. Um, that tree is very good, by the way, because it'll remind you that I have the power and the authority. That same God who made the heavens and made the earth also warned us when he was here, there is a real hell. There is a real eternity of judgment because if you refuse to ask this Christ to take your judgment on the cross, the judgment for sin, you can't pay for it. I can't pay for it. I'm no better than you. You're no better than me. We're all sinners. We need this Jesus Christ. But if you refuse his offer over and over again, there's a real hell, a place of fire for eternity. You will be condemned. If you don't let him bear your sin, you will bear it yourself and you'll have eternity to regret it. Those of you who do trust Christ, can I encourage you in one way? You're worried about the weather? about the COVID, about everything, your God is greater than any of that. Your God can actually get you right through this as a witness to the end. And if one day, like Paul, you get thrown into jail, remember, the jailer needs the gospel just like everybody else. To make sure this Jesus who saved you, who sent you for a purpose, remember to let him take you day by day. It's a wonderful time to remember heavens, uh, the new heavens and new earth, because that's what we're really looking forward to. And that's why Jesus came. And I'm going to hand back to Joseph now because he's got a special scientific uh, bit that the Lord's enabled us to find rocks that cry out his praises, particularly about Easter. And for those of you who are still tempted to believe God used millions of years of evolution, then listen carefully. OK, Joseph, thanks for that. You can take over in this half now. All right. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that, John. That was fantastic. We've got a great group of people watching and the chat is very uh, live, people enjoying it very much. Um, if you do have any questions coming through um, or any questions that you think of while we're doing this broadcast, do stick them into the chat because we will very likely come to them at the end of uh, my next presentation. Uh, plus, even if we don't come to them, we will be able to use them for next week's creation conversation when we go back to doing the question of the week. All right, John, well, it's goodbye to you very briefly, although we will see you again very shortly. So stay where you are. I'm going to get some uh, pretty pictures up on the screen now, starting with a Bible verse. Um, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ. Philippians 2, 
verse 5. You see, our challenge for you all today is to start seeing things God's way. I mean, we talked uh, earlier about our new documentary, Fire and Ice, and that's if you could really sum it up, that's a, a really good way of doing it, that Bible verse. Our challenge to you in this documentary is start seeing the real history of climate. Start seeing climate history God's way, starting with the Bible. And really, that's the message that we should be uh, using in evangelism. That's the message that we should be using when we're reaching people. That's the message we should be listening as well. Start seeing things God's way. Make sure that the mind which is in Christ is in you. Start seeing things God's way and it will open up a whole new world of wonderful connections that you may have never even seen before. Now, we've um, been in lockdown for a while now in the UK, but we had the privilege of being able to go up to uh, Northumberland a few weeks back and uh, look at our fantastic fossil tree that we found there. Um, it's a, a polystrate tree. That means it is protruding up through many layers. Very wonderful evidence of real rapid fossilization and rapid burial. Um, here's some of the other fossils. You can see the wonderful horsetail there. By the way, today they're absolutely tiny. They're sort of uh, that tall on average. They're sort of a, a meter tall at the absolute most. They're tiny little flimsy things. But here is a wonderful wonderful, great big, thick piece. Um, here's some more fossils, more of the horsetails there, some wonderful uh, sort of cone-like structures that are sort of part of the ends of these uh, lycopod fossils, wonderful, beautiful fossils, including this one here. Hey, can you see that there? Can you see the thorn? See, I got very excited when I uh, when I first found this. I've actually got the fossil with me here tonight. Let's see if I can hold it up to the camera and get it into focus so you can see it in the light. There we go. Can you see it there? Um, you see the little... Uh, get it right. There we go. You see the little thorn just there? Absolutely beautiful, wonderful thorn. We're pretty sure that this is, belongs to a seed fern called Neuropterus, um, which we found all around the world. In fact, John Mackay and myself, we've been having a little bit of a, 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 a challenge, a sort of a competition to find who can find the most thorns around the planet. And by the way, John, um, I've just equalized with this one. So you need to get on your game and start finding more um, because they are really rather spectacular little things and a wonderful fossil form there. Um, okay, what does this actually show? Remember our challenge? Start seeing things God's way. Um, that means that these rocks, which are supposed to be carboniferous, uh, carboniferous, by the way, simply refers to the fact that they have lots of coal in them, um, they're not 318 million years old in the slightest. In fact, they're less than 10,000 years old, according to the Bible. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. I mean, what have these fossils got anything to do with Easter? Um, what have they got to do with Jesus Christ? And what do they have to do with evolution? Well, let's start by giving you the evolutionary story of how thorns supposedly evolved. The idea is, you see down in the bottom there, uh, you start off with a soft, squidgy plant like seaweed. Oh, by the way, it's really important to remember that evolution says you start down here here and you build your way up. You start very simple and you build your way up from single-celled creatures all the way up to high school professors. Um, seaweed all by itself evolved into ferns. Ferns all by themselves evolved flowers and then flowers being the soft and tender things that they are and love to be eaten by by uh, you know the goats and the sheep and whatnot, they also went on to evolve thorns as a protection. 
Of course, if you've worked with uh, animals, uh, like sheep and goats and uh, so on and so forth, you know that thorns do very little to deter them from trying to get to the plants at all. But that's your evolutionary origin of thorns according to secular science. Here's your uh, biblical perspective. Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, Then God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. First point first, everything was very good when God created it. I mean, John's just dealt with that earlier tonight, and we've even discussed what good actually meant. Um, Skip forward to Genesis chapter 3, the fall of mankind. Then God said to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, the ground is cursed for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. I hope you understand that the Bible is not just a record of God's dealings with mankind in terms of New Testament Jesus Christ coming redemption, because it is that, but it's so much more. It's not just the history of God's redemptive power, it's the history of the entire universe and God's entire dealings with mankind from day one. And it includes a history of thorns. Hmm, interesting. Okay, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the herb of the field. Ah, make sure you get a biblical perspective. Um, what's the real difference? Well, in the beginning, everything was very good. The original created kind of the rose had no thorns in the slightest. After the curse, things became thorny. Um, oh, by the way, this is definitely change. Thorns didn't used to have Uh, roses didn't used to have thorns now they do but it's not actually evolution remember our evolutionary diagram you start down the bottom and all by itself things evolve upwards until they need to evolve thorns in order to protect themselves supposedly um no the bible says that they actually started with no thorns and they ended up with thorns and what's interesting is if you look into the botanical explanation behind thorns they are all as a result of devolution of a downhill trend whether it's a mutation that has caused the leaf to shrink so the sharp uh sort of uh tubes which send water to the leaves and send sugars back so have sort of stuck out they're made of glass by the way silica so you end up with these thorns sticking out or whether they're failed um leaf or or, or branch stems which have ended up being really sharp and spiky like the blackthorn in the uk uh, or whether they're actually a mutation which has caused the plant to physically grow a sharp pointy thing out of it um it really doesn't matter what the botanical explanation of it is whether it's a thorn or a prickle or a spike the biblical point is if it's sharp and pointy and is a result of a devolution it is a thorn thorns and thistles shall come and guess what um that northumberland site where we found this wonderful thorn is not the only place in the world that we have actually discovered them um This was creation researchers' first ever fossil thorn that John Mackay found way back in 2006-2007. Hey, you can't get much clearer than that, can you? Beautiful fossil thorns. 
nasty, vicious thing when it was alive, for sure. And then we've also found them in Carthage in Tennessee. You can see John there um, digging up some uh, wordful rocks and fossils. These, by the way, are Ordovician rocks. These are supposed to be 450 million years out. Now, of course, I couldn't let John get all the glory at this site, so I visited there. Um, I've visited there twice now. This particular time was in January 2020. You can see us with our geologist there, geologist Bob Powell, who's a, a local Tennessee geologist, professional geologist, and uh, he's the one who confirmed for us that these rocks were really classified as Ordovician. Um, and now that becomes important because look what we started finding. Hey, can you see the brown things? They're the plants, by the way. Oh, plants are important because, um, well, plants weren't supposed to have evolved in the Ordovician, but that's a side point. We'll come on to that in a moment. But more importantly, can you see the spiky things? Can you see the thorns? Um, there's John. You can see them all sort of sitting there in a row. Get up nice and close. They've definitely got spiky things on them. They're definitely thorns. The point, these rocks formed after Adam sinned, according to the Bible. They're not 450 million years old in the slightest. Now, that's important because here's another example from uh, up in Canada. Um, this is a Sordonia fossil. These are supposed to be Devonian, claimed to be 350 million years old from Canada, and they are exactly the same as the fossil plants with the thorns that we are finding down in Tennessee, in the Ordovician rocks. You see all the thorns? Interesting. Okay, here's your geological column. Um, it's uh, based off of an idea that sediments form from bottom to top, which is a false idea to begin with. Uh, but it's interesting the way that it's become developed over the years. You can see all the names there. And the idea is that these represent the history of life on Earth, from starting way down at the bottom all the way to the top, um, nearly a billion years worth of history. Okay, that's where those Canadian thorns were found, supposedly one of the first land plants to evolve. Um, by the way, our thorns in Tennessee are a world record. Uh, they have never been described anywhere else in Ordovician rocks. Oh, and by the way, we definitely know these are Ordovician rocks um, because of the official classification of them that... Um, our geologist Bob Powell uh, declared, but it's interesting we've also actually checked out that these are definitely Sordonia as well. Because you see, the problem is we found wonderful land plants in this Ordovician rock, but they weren't supposed to evolve for another 40 million years. Wow, these are out of place fossils. They really shouldn't be there, according to the theory of evolution. Um, we took it to the world expert in fossil thorns in Canada, and he confirmed them for us. Absolutely, these are Sordonia, there's no doubt about it. But when we told him that they were found in Ordovician rocks, he said, oh, that's absolutely impossible. No way that they could possibly be in Ordovician rocks because they didn't evolve for another 40 million years. So we go back to Tennessee, we check with the geologists there. Oh, they're definitely Ordovician rocks. We're not going to change our mind about that. So um, one thing it does show is that the ideas about the ages of the rocks uh, really come down to local interpretation and which theory is most popular at the time. But regardless of that, what is the actual biblical point to this? Um, there it is. 
regardless of how old you want to make these, regardless of what kind of rock you want to make these, whether they're Devonian or Ordovician, by the way, both of those names, Devonian and Ordovician, have got nothing to do with millions of years in of themselves. They're just named after places in the UK. Devonian was named after Devon. Ordovician was named after the Ordovici tribe, which used to live in South Wales. Hmm, interesting where these names come from. But the point is, we've now found these fossil thorns, not only in the Devonian, we've also found them in the Ordovician as well. Ah, and what about these ones, the first ever fossil thorns found by Creation Research? They were found in Canada in 2007. Um, beautiful fossil thorns. There they are. There's where the coal bed is. There's the fossil find. Um, ah, this is Carboniferous. Hang on a minute. Carboniferous is supposed to be 345 to 280 million years old. The same rock sequence, by the way, as the one that we found in Northumberland. In fact, if you didn't know better, because uh, I knew that I drove there, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between these rock deposits and the ones in Canada and the ones in Tennessee and Spencer uh, and the ones in Newcastle and Australia. They're almost identical with the same vertical fossil trees running through them. Hey, this is a worldwide flood, a very, very, very big deposit indeed. Um, hang on a minute. Carboniferous rocks also formed after Adam sinned, according to the Bible, because they contain fossil thorns. In other words, the Carboniferous in Nova Scotia, just like the Carboniferous in the UK, is less than 10,000 years old, according to the Bible. You see, we've not just found the fossil thorns in the Ordovician and the Devonian, we've found them in the Carboniferous. Oh, that's Pennsylvania and Mississippian for our friends in the USA. Um, in fact, we've found them all the way up and down from the Permian, the Carboniferous, from the Cretaceous. We've found them in three different continents, in different countries around the world, and they all prove one thing. They all formed after Adam sinned. Hmm. Make sure that you have a biblical perspective. These rocks formed after Adam sinned, according to the Bible. But what on earth has that got to do with Easter? What on earth has that got to do with Jesus Christ? Well, John's touched on it, and I wonder if you've seen the connection before, because the Bible talks about thorns and thistles in quite a few places. It doesn't just talk about um, the fact that they are a result of mankind's sin. It doesn't just talk about the fact that they are part of the curse and they are not a good thing. It doesn't just talk about the fact that they have changed from no thorns to thorny plants, but that's not evolution, that's a downhill trend. Um, what are we celebrating this time of year? Jesus Christ coming to die for us. And he wore a crown of thorns. Hey, John mentioned that just earlier, didn't he? Jesus Christ wore a crown of thorns. He was wearing a representation of the very thing which he had come to break the grip of, the curse, death. Because follow the logic through, um, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. In fact, it was sin that brought thorns and thistles onto the planet in the first place. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, all die and all suffer the effects of the curse, including thorns and thistles. That was a promise that God gave to Adam. Hmm. What did Jesus Christ come to do? He came to break the grip of death. He came to save the world from its sin. And he came to give us everlasting life. Make sure you're actually joining the dots together here. The wages of sin is death. All of sin and short and fall of the glory of God, therefore, will die. But what would it take to actually 
break the grip of the curse, break the grip of death. Well, you would actually need to have somebody who was a complete completely sinless. Why? Well, if you're a sinner, then you can't pay for anybody else's sins other than yourself. Moses was a great example of this. I mean, he'd just come down from Mount Sinai and he'd seen the children of Israel worshipping a golden calf. And he smashed the Ten Commandments out of anger and he went back up to Mount Sinai and he begged God. He said, Lord, do not take out your anger on the children of Israel. Put the blame on me. Take my life instead. Wow, that's a fantastic offer for Moses there. But you know what? God had to reject his offer. The reason? Moses was already a sinner. He'd already killed a man and he'd murdered someone. Hmm. Moses was a sinner. And so he could not pay for anybody else's sin other than his own. The wages of sin is death and Moses had to die for his sin. So in order to actually uh, break the grip of death, you need to have somebody who's sinless. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and short, fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, all die. But if God incarnate came to the earth, lived a completely sinless life and died on a cross, wearing a representation of the curse that he is now dying for, um, hmm, he's not paying for his own sin. He's paying for somebody else's, yours and mine. He's breaking the grip of death. He's breaking the curse. And he's wearing that visual representation of it. Bloodshed, killing, death and thorns, all seen in Jesus Christ. Let's uh, take it to the other side. We started with the beginning of thorns. Let's take it right to the end. Revelation chapter 22, and there shall be no more curse. This is the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, and there will be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. There will be no bloodshed. There will be no killing. There will be no death. There will be no thorns because the curse has been broken. And you know what? I'm very much looking forward to it. I mean, I'm a gardener and I love uh, doing the gardening, except for when it comes to thorns. I mean, I'm a fairly young man, but my back hurts a lot. I don't feel particularly well a lot of the time and I need a new body already. And I'm hardly started in this world. Hey, I'm looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth where everything shall be very good and the lion will lay down with the wolf and the lamb and they'll all be there together and there will be no death, there will be no bloodshed and that is the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. Why do we need Jesus? Well, because we're all sinner. That goes back to Genesis as well. That's the connection between the thorns. That's the connection between Jesus Christ. That's the connection that John makes in his gospel when he says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and all things were made by the word. And by the way, this word became flesh and dwelt among us, and his name is Jesus Christ. You see the dots? You see how they're joined together? Make sure you have a full perspective um, of the world's history. Make sure you start seeing things God's way. And make sure that you let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Well, there's a few thoughts for you. I'm going to bring John Mackay back on now um, because there's been some really, uh, really fantastic research that we've been doing. And uh, it, it, the Lord has really blessed us with things like these discoveries of, of fossil thorns. Um, let's have a look through the through the comments now because we're, we're coming up to the hour mark. But I think we can uh, uh, let ourselves have a little bit of wiggle room. Um, let's have a look at some 
questions in here. Here we have a question just coming up on the screen there, John. Are living fossils always bigger in the fossil record compared to their modern counterpart? Okay, when it comes to land creatures, the answer is often yes. So when you look at, say, even the goannas or crocodiles, they yeah. will be monsters compared to today. But when you look at, say, the dung beetle that eats dinosaur dung and crocodile dung and, and lizard dung and goanna dung, the dinosaur beetle, the dung beetle rather, seems to have remained the same, and that's a land creature. Now, when, when the, it comes to the sea, we still have big creatures in the sea because their climate has not changed much from creation through the flood. Oh, it's a lot more polluted and it doesn't get as evenly uh, distributed as it used to be. But whales can still grow huge. Turtles can still grow much bigger than uh, they, mm. they, they do out on the tortoises on the land. But you'll find that they, they too have a limit compared to what they used to be. But they're still much more uh, impressive than the land creatures. So if you want to know why, think carefully. I was up on the Darling Downs a few weeks ago. We brought down some mega bones from a creature uh, that would have been sort of wombat-like. And it was huge. Now, there's no way in the world you could feed a vegetarian wombat-like creature with sort of two metres tall and three metres long on the stuff that grows on the Darling Downs. The climate is just... <laughs> I've been to the Darling Downs. It's barely good enough to feed a horse. Yeah, that's right. And so, therefore, you know the climate was better when they were still here. So you've got to match size, climate and lifespan. Yeah. All of those things will go together. So the living fossils on the land often way bigger before the flood and even bigger for a time after the flood, uh, same as our lifespan drops until you get after the days of Job and down to Moses, and that pretty well evens out from then on. And the size of creatures doesn't seem to have changed much, even though extinction rate is increasing. But in the sea, they've evened out fairly well uh, before the flood and after the flood. So I hope that helps. We've got a DVD on living fossils, haven't we? We have indeed, yeah, and that's all available from creationresearch.net. You can click on our USA shop, you can click on our UK shop, uh, you can click on our Australian shop as well. And I'll just add a, a comment as well, coming from a uh, not just a geological background, but also a zoological background. Environmental uh, effects really do affect the size of creatures even today but not to the same extent and it's the same for plants as well and give you an example um one thing that we've known for a long time is that it appears that the vast majority of reptiles continue growing for all of their life um they continue growing all of their life and they slow down significantly when they reach adulthood but they do continue to grow and shed their skin in either patches or in whole and so on and so forth well if you actually have optimal environment plus of course you're closer to the uh to the creation uh, and less time between the creation and uh, between the fall of mankind and today you've got animals which are able to continue growing for hundreds of years if not thousands of years and get very very big that's probably why many of the dinosaurs managed to get very big when we know they started off very small and one thing's for sure and i know you know this as well john um the geological record when you dig up the rocks and fossils and do tests in it you can test what the environment and the air quality and the oxygen level was like and there was a far higher level of carbon dioxide which meant that the plants could actually grow and get a lot lot bigger um so it's not just things like 
the horse tails as well. In fact, I know you, John, in uh, Australia, you'll find enormous trees that are like 500 feet tall. It's, it's, it's just enormous. So yeah, it certainly does seem to be a mixture of environmental factors that affect the size that creatures can go to and you can increase uh, or decrease oxygen and carbon dioxide levels in tanks and it can help plants grow and it can help uh, invertebrates, creepy crawly things get bigger or smaller. But also the fact that back then they were closer to creation, they had better genetics they were healthier and so they didn't have that the same issues that we have actually today um but, so but no, go. no covid joseph at all no, no covid no covid or at least at least no covid like things that would actually affect us because one thing you've got to remember and this is a this is a point that that that, that we make about the effects of seeing because we're in our we sort of really in our minds about you know things degenerating but we're degenerating too um the things like viruses and bacteria and why would a good god make bad things can basically be summed up in the fact that well back in the beginning they didn't have the same effect on us that they do now because not only have we been going downhill but so have the germs and the bacteria and the viruses um not only have we been going downhill but so have the plants so no longer um you know can we be sustained by the same things that we would have been in creation no longer can we cope with the same levels of bacteria and viruses and pathogens um that just simply wouldn't have affected us in the beginning because we've both been devolving we've both been losing information and there is now a struggle to survive and so because of that you end up with these deadly diseases all around the all around the planet joseph can i just sneak in one other thing too um because of the mention of your DVD on Iceland or the MP4 or mm -hmm. uh, streaming, I'd encourage people to get it and look at the history of climate. But we did do too. Uh, we walked through Genesis with Jesus. So let me sneak a commercial in. For those of you who have not yet picked up a Bible study on this subject like we did today, you'll find a lot of useful information in that book, which is available in the UK and America and in Australia. Just go to creationresearch.net. Walking yeah. with Jesus through Genesis, it'll really open your eyes to the importance of all of this, thorns, thistles, the works. Also, a reminder before we finish off that you can go and watch the 2020 Easter special. I just checked it out while John was giving the talk. Um, there's actually 14 different videos there, so there's some really wonderful stuff. I've put it up there on the screen, but it's a nice long link, so I will also uh, put it into the chat box just now. So that should come up as a link. There it is that you can go and uh, actually watch and see there we go lovely um so uh, go and go and watch that go and uh listen back to them there's some very very fascinating interesting points there a reminder as well if you want to support the work that we do or you like these uh creation conversation broadcasts we've had several people watching tonight so thank you very much for joining us you can support us by going to the creationresearchstore.com and uh click on donate or you can go to creationresearch.net and you'll find information about it there as well so thank you all very much for watching john any final words for you before we sign out no just remember easter is about the good news and those of you who know the one who is good get out there and share it to a world that is dying amen amen goodbye folks we'll catch you soon